Well, good morning. Glad to be back with you folks. Uh, missed being here last week. Um, we were able, I was driving, so I was able to listen uh, to what was going on here. It seemed like you all had a good experience. Um, we're in a series of talking about being stressless, worrying less, whatever. I did change the title. Um, us preacher types like to spend time on the titles and make, that they make sense and help. So I thought this was a better title for today, Now and Then. My wife tells me that's the name of a candy bar or candy or something. <laughs> She's the candy expert, not me. But um, Now and Then, uh, that'll make a little more sense in a minute. Um, when I'm in a series, I kind of look for things online and other places, um, emails that come through that connect with what I'm talking about. So not surprisingly, there's a lot of stuff about worry. So I was reading one, it talked about this wasn't a religious one. It talked about having a worry time. You know, you block off this half hour and say, okay, I'll worry then and get it all finished for the day and then, then I won't worry the rest of the day. I don't know if that works. You can try it if you want. Another one says have a worry journal. Just write stuff down and then say, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Um, just different tips. The one, my favorite one was this. I got this email saying, gummies for stress relief. I thought, hey, how cool. I'm talking about stress in parentheses, cannabis-based. <laughs> so if you want, to let, want help, just let me know. I'll get you the connection. And, um, and if nothing else works, maybe that'll work. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you can get it online. But anyway, um, <clears throat> now and then. Uh, it's really neat how God works. And I thank Aaron for filling in for me last week. I did not tell him what I had been talking about. He didn't tell me what he was going to talk about. This series, I do these series ahead of time. So uh, this first statement on the outline was there weeks ago. How many of you were here last week? Does that ring a bell, that statement? That's exactly what Aaron talked about, right? It's cool how God works, isn't it? So it's all intertwined and all, all connected. <clears throat> so now and then. See, most of us can handle our stress and our worry now it's the future nows that are the problem, right? Uh, probably not too stressed at this, at this minute, but if you start thinking about this afternoon and tomorrow and next week, then the stress comes. So the now's not the problem, it's the future nows or the then. Now we started off this series with Jesus saying something I wouldn't say. He said, don't worry, stop it, don't do it. Now I wouldn't say that because I know you're not going to do it, right? We're just going to lower your stress level. But Jesus said that's stupid. Don't do it. And we've been studying that, and hopefully it's been helpful, and we've got a couple more weeks and we'll be finished. Now, part of our pushback is that if I, when I don't, we use other words. If it, act, it seems like I'm not caring, it's not I'm concerned, I'm being irresponsible, and uh, if you've got a spouse that's kind of that way, you almost have that feeling, right? They, they don't really care. They're being irresponsible because they're not worrying about this. We need to worry about this. This is important. Now, it's not that those things aren't important. They probably are. But if they're important to you, if there's a God, and if you don't believe there's a God, we're glad that you're here. Hopefully we convince you. But if there is a God, the God that we talk about, don't you think the things that are important to you are important to him? And don't you think he can do more about it than you and I? Anyway, that's just a side note. Uh, we're going to talk about this next week maybe or the week after. We worry about things we're emotionally connected to. 
You don't worry about my kids. I don't really worry about your kids. You know, if you've got kids in school, I don't really worry about your kids' grades. My kids are all, I worry about my grandkids' grades, maybe. Uh, but you don't worry about my grandkids because you're not emotionally connected to what I'm emotionally connected to and vice versa. So I think Jesus is suggesting, why don't we shift what we're emotionally connected to? Not that you're not going to be emotionally connected to your kids, but say, be, be emotionally connected to me, your God, and I will take care of your kids. But we have this felt need to care about <laughs> our kids, our family, and certain things. And we talk about this often. Feelings are real, but they're not always justified. And I think what Jesus would say to us, it's not justified for you to get all fretting and worried and have all this anxiety about your kids, about this or about that. I put this, uh, put this on the screen. Uh, the problem is I focus on things I can't do anything about, like tomorrow <laughs> or people. So I'm distracted from things I should be focused on, things I can do something about. So that's the crazy thing about worry. I'm worried about stuff tomorrow that I can't do anything about, and then I'm letting stuff now that I can do slide. Uh, it's funny. When we're at work, we, wor we worry about things at home. When we're at home, what are we doing? We're worrying about things at work. It's just kind of the way it works. But it's always about the then. It's always about the tomorrow. Now, the reality is, the reality is, can you do anything about tomorrow? Do you know anything that's going to happen tomorrow? Of course you don't. Neither do I. We're going to look at this cool story from the Old Testament. It has a lot, to, I think, to teach us about this topic. There's this, I'm going to give you the background, which is a really cool story that most of you probably know. But then we're going to focus on the follow-up to that amazing story. And we're going to zero in what I'm going to call a phenomenal question that can help you if you're a worrier, help you with your stress, help you with your anxiety. I'm going to suggest you put this on your mirror or your refrigerator, someplace you see it all the time, or someplace you can go get it when you start to have anxiety. So we're going to look at the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel became a nation. The first king was Saul. The second king was probably the most famous king. Give me some feedback. Who was the second king of Israel? David. Okay. So Saul was followed by David. Actually, I'm planning a series on David uh, starting next year. Uh, then probably the, the pinnacle, the highlight of the nation of Israel was with the third king. Who was the third king? Solomon. Okay. So we got Solomon. What happens after Solomon dies? What happens to the nation of Israel? It splits in two, okay? So you get the northern kingdom. It's called the northern kingdom. Why? <laughs> it's because it's in the north, okay? And it retained, it was, it was a larger portion. It retained the nation Israel. The southern kingdom was called the southern kingdom. Why? Because it was in the south. That's where Jerusalem is. It was called Judah. So after Solomon, you've got two kings going on. And if you read Kings and Chronicles, they tell you different kings over different time frames. In Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Well, this story centers in the northern kingdom. In about 860 B.C., and a guy by the name of Ahab is king. Now, outside of church, where have you heard the name Ahab? Moby Dick. Moby Dick. All right. You guys are sharp this morning. All right. He was after, after uh, the white whale, right? Side note, who was his first mate? What was his first mate name? Anybody remember? Ishmael. 
They're with different characters. But anyway, uh, or, anyway, Starbuck. Remember Starbuck? We don't think about today. All we think about coffee when we think of Starbuck, don't we? Uh, but anyway, Starbuck was in, was in the book also. So it's 860. Ahab's king. Ahab's a terrible king. He's a wicked king. He's leading the Israelites into, into idolatry. Uh, they're abandoning the law and so forth. So God sends a voice to the king. Voice of this, this voice, in this case, by the name, guy by the name of Elijah. Now, just like with, with Ahab, God brings voices into your life and into my life, doesn't he? Now, if you're a kid, usually it's your parents, right? They're the voice of God in your life. Sometimes you get to be my age. Sometimes it's your kids <laughs> that are the voice into your life. Uh, it could be something you heard on the radio, watch on TV. It could actually be me sometimes. It uh, could be your spouse. Uh, and when we get this voice from God, what is our natural reaction? Oh, thank you for letting me know that. I will change that right away. No, we're just like Ahab, right? None of your business. Get out of here. Leave me alone. I'm going to do what I want, right? That's how we respond normally to the voice of God. It's what we should do, but that's what we do. So, <coughs> Elijah comes to Ahab and says, God is tired of this. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> He's going to want, he wants to get your attention. He wants to teach you a lesson, so it's going to stop raining. And of course, Ahab doesn't change anything. He doesn't even believe him, probably. But he does threaten Elijah, so Elijah's on the run for three years. Doesn't rain for three years. And God miraculously supplies, uh, provides for Elijah. After three years, God says to Elijah, hey, I want you to go back to Ahab. See if he's ready to listen at this point. So Elijah, uh, Ahab says, okay, what do I need to get the rain turned back on? And Elijah says, hey, here we are, what we're going to do. We're going to up on Mount Carmel. Everybody knew where Mount Carmel was. And we're going to have a contest. You bring all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, and I'll represent uh, Yahweh, and they'll represent Baal, and we'll have this prayer meeting. And whoever can call down fire from their God, will be the true God. He's, and the thousands of people show up and this big contest and everybody's saying, okay, okay, okay. Now, I don't under, know why, but I assume these guys have been praying for three years for rain. <laughs> the false prophets. And it hadn't happened yet. So they get there. Most of you know the story. They set up these two altars and Elisha says to the false prophets, you get to go first. So they say, okay. So they start praying. They start jumping around. They start shouting. They start dancing. And this goes on all morning long. And then Elijah does something very uh, non-politically correct. <laughs> Nobody would ever do this today. And here's what he does. At noontime, Elijah began making fun of them. We wouldn't make fun of Muslims or, or Buddhists or whatever, but he did. You have to shout louder, he scoffed. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Or he's relieving himself. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be waking up. Anyway, so they get really riled up. They jump higher. They scream louder. They start cutting themselves, trying to get fire down from their, their God. Not, nothing happens all day long. And so Elijah says, okay, you've had your chance. My turn. He said, just so you make sure you realize this isn't a trick, I want you to pour water on mine. <laughs> and uh, 
Now, you've got to realize they're on a mountain. It hasn't rained for three years. I don't know where they got the water. But they got water. They poured it on there. He said, that's not enough. Put it on there again. He said, that's not enough. They put it on a third time. It's just water running everywhere. You can read it for yourself. Kings 18, verse King. Elijah prays a simple prayer, and the fire comes down, just consumes it all, the water and everything. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, the people are scratching their head. Well, I think... Yahweh is the true God, not your God. And they kill these 450 prophets. And Elijah's like a rock hero at this point, right? And it still hasn't rained. So he starts praying for rain. There's not a cloud in the sky. He prays. His servant looks. No, he prays. He does seven times. After the seventh time, there's a cloud. And Elijah says to King Ahab, you better get running, going back to, to Jerusalem or your chariot's going to get cut. And actually, he runs alongside him or, or with him back to Jerusalem. So, after all this dramatic stuff happens, we're going to pick up the story after this, okay? Because the story I want to focus on is after this amazing story. This is in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab got home. Now, Ahab has a wife. She's the queen. And what's her name? Anybody name their kids Jezebel? Kind of like Judas. Nobody names her kid Judas or Jezebel, right? Because <laughs> she was really the one that was wicked. Ahab might have turned out a good guy if he had a good wife. A uh, little marriage advice here. Make sure you marry yourself a good wife, guys. Uh, I got a great one. Um, but he had a wicked one. And so she was really spearheading all this wickedness. He told her everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. I can imagine just steaming, right? <laughs> All her 450 prophets have been killed. So, what's she going to do? Next verse tells us. She sends a message to Elijah. Now, I don't know why she just didn't go and get him and arrest him, but she didn't. Said, may the God strike me, even kill me, if by this time tomorrow, not today, Elijah, okay today, but I'm coming to get you tomorrow. <laughs> just like our worries, right? If I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, if you didn't know the story, and some of you don't probably, what do you think Elijah's response is going to be? Now I'm thinking, okay, I just, it was 40, 450 to 1, and now it's one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, did you just hear about Mount Carmel? Bring it on, Jezebel. That you'd think it would be his response, right? But then I got thinking, women are kind of scary. These are 450 men, right? <laughs> One woman's more scary than 450 men. Anyway, what, what happens? Well, let's pick up the story. Next verse. Elijah was afraid. This one woman, she is queen, but she's a woman, and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. Where was it? Judah's in the south. He was in the north. He left the country. All right? Went to Canada, wherever, Mexico. Left the country. And he left his servant there. <clears throat> Now, if we were to drop down into your life, like we are dropping down into Elijah's life right now, and we were to look at the things you're worried about, we would probably say the same thing we would say to Elijah. Elijah, <laughs> you just defeated 450 prophets. Why are you afraid of this one woman's threat? And from the outside, it doesn't look logical, but to you and to me, our worries do, don't they? And we say, don't, don't you remember? Don't you remember the fantastic thing God just did? 
And we would probably say the same thing to you and you'd say the same thing to me. Don't you remember the fantastic thing gods have done for you? So anyway, it goes about 100 miles. We don't know if it takes them a week or more. All right? Left the country. Story goes on. Went to the wilderness, sat down under a tree, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I'm through. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who already died. Now, to me, I'm thinking, okay, why didn't you waste yourself 100 miles? You could have just stayed there. The queen would have taken care of it for you, right? But that's how illogical our worry and stress often is. So then he lays down and sleeps under this tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, there beside his head were some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Boy, God took really good care of him, right? Hot meal. He ate and drank, lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat again. So let's see. He slept, he ate, he slept, he ate. He said, you got a journey ahead of you, be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank the food. Enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. So this is more like another 200 miles south to Mount Sinai. And we all know about Mount Sinai, right? Remember Moses and the burning bush? Well, it didn't really burn. <laughs> that was at Mount Sinai. And then later when the Israelites are out of Egypt, they come to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain. What's he come down with? Ten Commandments. So Mount Sinai was this place where if you wanted to hear from God, that's where you went. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a place like that, you know? Uh, go down to the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., or Washington Monument in Boonesboro, whatever. And that's where God will speak to you. So, some people think it's in buildings like this, but no, God speaks anywhere, right? But that's what they thought. So that's where he goes. 40-day <clears throat> trip. Came to a cave. He spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, well, God, I, I, I'm here to hear from you. You're 300 miles from home. You've been traveling for 50 days. What are you doing here? You're way far from where you're supposed to be ministering, working. You're way far where you should be spiritually, trusting me. You're way far from me emotionally. You're all fretting and worried and just you want to die. Why? You're stressed. Why? You're running away. Why? Same thing can be said about you and I. What are you doing here? What are you doing in this place of stress and worry? What are you doing here emotionally? Detached from your spouse and your family. Maybe you literally run away from some situation, some job, some relationship. Why are you here spiritually without faith? Now, from looking from hindsight, looking from outside, it's nonsense. It's crazy, right? And again, if we were to drop in your life, we might say the same thing. So what's Elijah do? He does the same thing you and I do. He filled God in on the situation like God didn't know, right? <laughs> so here he goes. I've zealously served you, Lord God Almighty. The people of Israel have broken the covenant with you, torn down their altars, killed every one of the prophets. 
I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What do you expect, God? It's me against the world. I'm all alone in this. I can't do it anymore. Right? So God says, sure, you get a pass, Elijah. <laughs> Not exactly. So what happens? He goes out and stand before he goes out and stand before me on the mountain. God gives him instructions. And the Lord said, and Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. Well, actually he was, but <laughs> uh, he caused the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. He goes on, after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Kind of just, God kind of showing off. <laughs> uh, the lady used to come to church, so she used to pray, God, I want you to, sh- to show off. I think I said kind of a neat prayer. Well, you're showing off to Elijah. Said, ah, wind, wind, earthquakes, whatever, fire. Then there was a whisper. And Elijah heard it, got his attention. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance to the cave. And what does God say to him now? Elijah, what are you doing here? Did you forget Mount Carmel? Did you forget the three years I took care of you and protected you? <laughs> What are you doing here? And he gives him the same answer. Now, I think it's not so forceful now. It's kind of lost its leverage, hasn't it? Our excuses usually do, don't they? Oh, I've zealously served your Lord. I, the, the people have broken their covenant. They've torn down the altars, killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. The Lord's had enough. So then he responds. He says, go back. Quit complaining. Go back. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. Damascus was like neighboring country. He says, arrive there. Anoint Hazel, be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Israel has a king, right? Remember the Ahab guy? He's still king. Anoint the king of Israel and then anoint Elijah to replace you as prophet. You mean, God, you, you kind of knew what was going to happen? In fact, you know what's going to happen, and you've got a plan for what's going to happen, you have a solution, you got it all under control? And then he finishes with this. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. And by the way, you're not all by yourself. <laughs> you're not even close to being by yourself. There's 7,000 followers who have not bowed down and bowed and kissed him. Elijah had wrong thinking, didn't he? You and I ever had wrong thinking about some circumstance, some situation? But there's the question. Put on your refrigerator, on your mirror. What are you doing here? You can emphasize different words. What are you doing here? Or what are you doing here? What are you doing here in this relationship you shouldn't be in? Or why are you screwing this relationship up? What are you, why, are you, what are you, why are you here in your finances? Why are you here in your health? Why don't you take better care of your health? You know, why are you here in your work situation? Now, if you're a Jesus follower, <laughs> this is God's message to all of us, right? If you're not, you can ignore all this stuff. If you're a Jesus follower, 
This is God's instruction to us. He says, go back. Go back. Remember my faithfulness to you. Because our worry and our stress removes all the good. It removes the peace. It removes the joy. It removes the, uh, the ability to, to just relax and trust God. So it's amazing how today's worries erase God's faithfulness in the past. So Henry, here's a suggestion for you. If you're in one of those fa- God's faithfulness times, write it down. So then when you forget, you can go back and read it. I'm minded of one of those great times in our life in 1990. To 91, I was unemployed for a year. Didn't know when it was going to end, what was going to happen. Didn't have a regular job, did some part-time jobs. Money would show up in the mail. I spoke at a church that Christmas, and the uh, pastor church paid me for speaking. And then I get a check for $2,000. Now, this is 1990, so that's maybe $4,000. Anyway, the, somebody in the congregation heard our situation, just wanted to help us out. Just kind of help. <laughs> anyway, for a year. This went on for a year. Our kids never went hungry. That I, remember any going hungry guys? No, anyone went hungry. <laughs> uh, we paid our bills and everything for a year. So if I sit and worry about right now, I'm thinking, okay, when I retire, I'll have less income. I'll have enough money to live. Duh, crazy, crazy, right? Why would I worry about that? I'll have two pensions. <laughs> Back then, I had no, no income, and God took care of us. See how foolish? So do what you know to do today and trust God for tomorrow. Okay? Don't just sit there. Do what you know to do today, but God, let God, trust God for tomorrow. <clears throat> Besides, what options do you have? Trust God or worry? So here's your homework. Where do you need to go back and what do you need to do? Somebody you need to apologize to? Make a relationship right. You need to go back and remember God's faithfulness in some situation. That's your homework. We've got another, I think, two weeks in this series. Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray and have a final song. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this simple lesson, this great question. What are we doing here in this stress or this worry? Um, it's nonsense, but we do it. God, help us. Give us the faith we need. Pray for the wisdom and the courage to do it. And we pray for anyone that may be, not be a Jesus follower today. They would either step across the line or step, take a step closer to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.